And we have fun things to listen to you while you do, or the fun things for you to listen to, in fact. Uh, we can't celebrate 70 years, 70 years of public radio in Detroit without remembering some of the voices who helped make this station what it is today. In 1995, Liz Copeland began her overnight show here on WDET, taking listeners on a journey through electronic music, jazz, avant-garde, indie, and more. During her 12 years on the air here, she introduced listeners to some of the most exciting and groundbreaking artists and musicians, both in Detroit and around the world. Culture Shift's Amanda LeClaire spoke with Liz Copeland, who is now Liz Warner, about how she first began to fall in love with radio. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm of the generation that I grew up listening to radio, so that wasn't uh, that that big of a of a stretch for me. Actually, also, I'm the daughter of of someone who made ham radio towers, and it took me a while to kind of put all of this together about like why perhaps I may have been so interested in radio. But that kind of legacy seems to, in a way, follow me, and it seems to explain a lot of why I seemed so tuned into those audio frequencies to what happens with sound and the sort of invisible airwaves. And I think from a very early on, I mean, radio, when I grew up, had um, such crazy variety. It was where the, the FM, the AM bands lived. And from the start, I was just a big fan of music. It all started with music. I, um, I played uh, viola in school. I sang in, in choir. And It's just always been a part of my life. So to get back to the radio part, I just loved it so much. The reason why I even started anything with radio had to do with music. It was all about music. I just had to share it. I first started doing that at UVM Dearborn. Uh, WUMD was the radio station that was there, and I used to sort of do my homework up up in the corner zone and I'd I'd look into the radio station saying, Wow, that looks so cool. I don't know if I could ever do that. It sounds so amazing. And then one day they're like, Hey, why don't you why don't you come in and do a radio show? And I'm like, Who, me? Me? Really? Okay. All right. So I, I did it and then I really loved that experience of being able to share the music and sort of get into a different zone with it other than you know just out or outside of my own head and and to reach out to others so I I was a fan of WDT and um, at some point you know I went to school actually to study uh, business finance and accounting and what I realized was as I was volunteering that they needed someone to do their um check processing for volunteers. So they were like, hey, will you come in and do this part-time? I'm like, of course. I love being at WDET. So I did that. And then while I was there, um, learned about about the overnight shift opening and uh, put in my hat on that one. And again, it was still about the music. I was still, you know, very kind of nervous about about being on radio as, as just myself, the presence of it. And definitely terrified about doing a 25-hour-a-week radio show. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and just a, a really fun leap to make. For myself who listened to you as I was uh, in high school. Oh, wow. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I actually subbed on your show once. 
<laughs> and oh, did a wow. terrible job. Terrible job. I was so nervous. Um, oh, my. I think I remember you subbing, but I don't remember you're doing a terrible job. So you must have been fine. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think for myself as a, as a fan of yours and the show and for a lot of other people who were, uh, I was always curious about, you know, again, that 25 hours of content and music that you're just doing on your own in the middle of the night. What, what was your creative process, you know, behind making the show stand out and, and filling up that time? Well, as I mentioned, I was terrified at first. I mean, it was it was such a daunting idea to me. I actually did have a full-time job when I accepted the position, which I very abruptly quit because I knew <laughs> that I needed to focus all of my energy toward this. Above all, I guess a, a, a mantra that, I, that I've had throughout and was maybe a little more forgiving of myself at the start was that I wanted to always be of, of value when I'm using that time on air. So yes, 25 hours. And how do you fill that? So you basically get very creative. You think about First of all, we had a an astounding library, as you know, to choose from with the music. So I would explore. I would go and explore through that. So back then, when you wanted to learn about new music that wasn't right in front of you, going online wasn't really an option because this is 1995. Doesn't you know? It seems like that a long time ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. Regardless, so I would. Find books that I had, the Trouser Press, you know, uh, things like that. There are the billboard guides. I would search through those. I would try to find any kind of zines and papers that I could and search through those. I'd talk to friends. I'd look in my own collection. I'd go record shopping. Wherever I could find music that I thought would be great to share, then I would share it and hopefully try to share it in a creative way. And um, that was a challenge, too, because it's it's not just about sharing. It's about trying to create conversations and engagements with the music, too. And it it became a, a kind of a, a way of life. It kind of a <laughs> kind of like a, I felt to a certain degree at certain times, sort of a picking up on the vibes of the city uh, that that everyone else was feeling and almost trying to be a, a translator. And so it so many different sources and and fortunately I had a ton of creative friends and fans of music as well and between all of that it somehow all seemed to work out. So as you were here during the overnight shifts, you know, I think the station was a lot different than it is now. There were a lot more people working here, of course, and everything. And to know your perspective on being here in the middle of the night, like what was it like behind the scenes and inside the building? It was it was isolated in a way, in one type of way, only in that it was basically me. It was basically me alone in the middle of the night. But because of that, there was something that I could tap into and sort of spread that out, um, out, you know, to the, to the listeners. So I knew I, I really was, was never alone, although it sometimes could have kind of felt lonely, but again, it, it kind of opened things up to that, that ex exploration of, you know, things like the, the music library, you know, I, I just go in there and like, oh, well, 
what is this record? And, and hey, wow, who is this? Whoa, Billy Bang, what is going on here? You know, the, the, picking up different vinyl records and, and, and CDs. It became, because of that, I think you could say that it did become more, I don't know, it almost felt like more community because although you couldn't see the listeners that were out there, you knew they're out there. And, and it felt like we were all doing it together and going on these different journeys, these different little areas at, at every turn. Thankfully, I think a lot of people had the patience to stick with me when I went on these jauntlets that were, um, you know, maybe a little bizarre and then at other times straightforward. But I felt like the community was there and, and I felt like that they weren't really giving up on me. So <laughs> it was always, to me, a lot of fun and a bit like an adventure. Yeah, with all the, the interviews that you did as well with musicians and you also interviewed visual artists and, and, and all sorts of folks, um, I got to ask you, what, what is the best and what is the worst interview that you've ever had? Oh, wow. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say there was a best interview because or worst interview because I think all of them had their unique aspects to them. Um, luckily, I never had anyone that was, you know, completely absurd on air. I had, I had some moments, um, you know, where it, it got a little strange talking to someone like Kim Fowley was a very interesting moment. Um, and it, I think it was a two and a half hour interview. And it was bizarre and quite interesting at the same time. Luckily, I, I think I got some, some things out of him that I needed to get out of him. But um, Wow, it, that one was 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 definitely interesting. Um, had some great on-air interviews. James Stinson um, is is one of them, who was a big part of Drexia. The other people placed just generally underground resistance, and um, he was wow. He spoke to me at a time when he had a lot to say, and he at that time I basically knew that he wouldn't living much longer. And he needed to share some words with the Detroit community. So he did that. And that was uh, extremely uh, moving and meaningful. He was extremely kind. He has kind of this myth to him where he's um, maybe a bit unapproachable, but he was extremely generous and kind. He gave me his own records that night. Just an incredible person. Another person of that of that kind of zone is Mike Banks, who is, you know, really at the forefront of underground resistance. And at that time, especially, he just wasn't talking a lot to to people. And he came on the mic and and wow, we had so much fun with him. That one uh, was with Clark Warner for Focus Electronic. And uh, we just drilled him with questions and. And that was fun. Derek May in there, too, since we're talking about the electronic artists. I remember we just threw a bunch of records at Derek. Here, listen to this. What do you think of this yellow record? And he would just, you know, go on. Wow, there's an um, interview with Ben Edmonds, who was a music journalist in Detroit. And I say was because, sadly, he, he passed on. But he did so many great things with Mojo, with Cream Magazine. That's a Detroit reference. And wrote this incredible book, Marvin Gaye's. Um, what's going on? He did a, a book on that. And he had so much insight and um, had so much fun. But one of the, the most 
wonderful interviews that I was able to do didn't actually get to the microphone, but it's of that era with Alice Coltrane. And um, the folks over at UMS Music Society, the University Music Society, that was the University of Michigan Music Society, asked me to talk to her. And it was quite an incredible experience considering what Alice Coltrane has meant to the city. And she was so composed and so... I mean, her spiritual self was was truly there. And it's something that I, I still don't think is anywhere recorded, although I'd like to somehow have that recorded. And it was never shared on the WDTR waves. But I guess that's just a, I mean, a sampling of, of just some of the amazing people that, that took took time to uh, to talk about their music. Oh, and I should mention Charlie Hayden was there as well. And Roy Haynes. So it was it was me on stage with the three of these powerhouses and feeling completely out of my depth. Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> Still, it was it was incredible to me. I it, there are some cases like that where I think, boy, I hope I asked this. I don't remember. But but like this really should have been asked. And and I don't you know, I, I just you can't always remember. That's that's the benefit of having, I guess, the, everything recorded. Because then you're like, okay, well, there there it is. Because Alice has done so many incredible things, and you know, at that time, even still, hadn't I feel like gotten fully the credit that that was due to her. And it's almost um, today that a lot of people are starting to come around to the different things that she did and to her history. So, um, I mean, that's Detroit. That's Detroit. So many of these of these people have had this this ripple like effect throughout the world, and we're just we were just lucky enough to have them grow up and somehow be associated with the city. So the reason that we're talking is uh, because WDET is celebrating its seventieth anniversary this year, which is sounds sounds crazy. That is, I love it. As reaching like this age. What do you think the station uh, means to Detroit? And also, what did your time here mean to you personally? Wow. I mean, the station has meant so much. And there have been so, so many um, important hosts that have come through that station. And boy, when I first started there, how lucky was I? Um, When I first started there, Famous Coachman was in the house um, Larry McDaniels, Matt Wetroba, Robert Jones, Ralph Valdez, W. Kim Heron, Martin Bandike, Judy Adams. Let me see who else. Oh, Ed Love. You cannot absolutely cannot forget Ed Love. So many amazing hosts were at the stand. I think Don Gagne still had his desk there, right? I think in 1995. And wow. It was such an impression upon me, and and I and feeling like this this newcomer coming in, I didn't know necessarily if everyone would you know be welcoming to me. You know who's who's this girl coming in? But everyone was just completely amazing and extraordinary, and I knew of the legacy. I mean, there are people that were there before me too, like Dave Dixon, and Mike Halloran, and Anne Delisi at the time. Now she's back, which I'm really glad to hear about. But for Music discovery, it's been amazing. The thing that set WDET apart at that time, which 
I really don't need to necessarily school anyone who's listening to the station, is that all-encompassing approach of the music combined with the news and information, and that perhaps somehow they have both something to offer and to help to understand the world better. It helped me to understand the world better. I know that much in general before starting there. And being there, it also you know, helped me to figure out the world on a, on a different level, sort of um, on a deeper level. What the station has meant to the city, I think it is a bit indescribable, but I can say that it, it kind of, I think it has represented the fabric of the city. And I was, um, I feel like I, I, I was just really immensely fortunate to have been a part of it. That was former Overnight Music host Liz Copeland talking about her time at WDET and her love of radio. She spoke with Culture Shift's Amanda LeClaire. Copeland, now Warner, continues to host the music show at the Los Angeles nonprofit radio station Dub Lab. Of course, we're celebrating WDET's 70th anniversary by talking with some of the folks who make the station what it is today. That includes you, our donors. 800 959 9338. Go online to call in your gift at WDET.org. 